Many people say that when they read biblical narratives, especially from the Old Testament, that they find it hard to identify with the people in those narratives because their experiences and the world in which they lived seem so different from our own. J.I. Packer considered that difficulty for many people, and he wrote about it in one section of his book, Knowing God. This is what he said. The truth on which we must dwell in order to dispel this feeling that there is an unbridgeable gulf between the position of men and women in Bible times and our own is the truth of God's immutability. God does not change. And then, having said that, Packer elaborated, he drew out that thought uh, by, by listing six specific areas of God's immutability, and he wrote a paragraph about each one, but the six were these. God's life does not change. God's character does not change. God's truth does not change. God's ways do not change. God's purposes do not change. And God's son does not change. So let us be encouraged to consider the passage that was read from the Old Testament and those other passages too, to consider these readings Particularly that last one today, the third one, was the Old Testament reading. It is not the sermon text for today. That passage is the setting for today's sermon text, which I will read shortly. But I want you to hear the setting first. In this setting, in verse 11, it references a boy. The boy there was Samuel. Samuel was the child, remember, whom God gave to Hannah and whom God would provide as a new and faithful judge and leader for the people of Israel. While Samuel was a boy, as in that passage, it was an oppressive time for Israel. It was a spiritually dark time for Israel. And that was because of the corrupt, the corrupt leadership of Eli the priest and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. That Old Testament reading that we heard shows how those priests were corrupting and abusing the people of God, particularly how they treated what belonged to God himself. First, the people of Israel belonged to God but Eli's sons were treating God's people with intentional violence and arrogance and abuse. The people's offerings belonged to God, but Eli's sons were deliberately ignoring Levitical laws in the, in the details in that passage of what they did with, with those offerings. They were deliberately violating Levitical laws, ordering them to boil the meat and burn the fat for God. They took the offerings for God and used them for their, to satisfy their own physical appetites. And the tent of meeting belonged to God. A few verses later, just beyond the passage that was read, 
it says that they, those priests, lay with women who were serving at the, at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Those priests were licentious in God's house, which was dedicated for God to be honored by worship. And the priesthood itself belonged to God. But those priests were treating the priesthood for their own pleasure and satisfaction, and they were therefore treating God with contempt. Under them, the priesthood had become an unholy, depraved priesthood. And also the passage showed how openly and and deliberately and persistently they did these wicked acts, for it said their sins were very great in the sight of the Lord, in verse 17. And then later in verse 25, it says, the Lord willed to put them to death. It was that serious. That was the setting. Now, what does that setting, before we look at the sermon text, what does that setting show about God? It shows that God was present, and God was attentive to what was happening, and God was actively engaged in the lives of people. It shows that God was righteous and good. He was righteously judging the evil that was going on, and he was with goodness preparing to deliver the people from this oppressive time. And he was going to deliver them through Samuel, but you see it shows about God that he was, he was patiently patiently deliberate about delivering his people, taking years to, to raise up Solomon, to, uh, to Samuel, to, as Samuel was growing up, that God was training him and preparing him for the for leadership, faithful leadership of God's people. And thus God was doing something bigger and better than the people in that time could see in their circumstances. And dear friends, this is important for us now because God's ways do not change. He still does those things. So now, therefore, let's read the next passage that comes a little bit later than what was read to us. It's about what God was doing about the wickedness being done by those priests the evils that were happening during that oppressive time for his people. This is 1 Samuel chapter 2, and I'm going to resume the reading at verse 27. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling And honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts 
of everything offering, of every offering of my people, Israel. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. That means they, that they should continue to be priests forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress, you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. The man who came to see Eli on that day is, is not named to us. It is, he is simply called a man of God. And the first words out of his mouth in the record there were, thus says the Lord, by that designation, a man of God, and by that statement, thus says the Lord, we are to know, we are to understand that that man was a prophet of God who had come with a message from God, sent by God with a message from God for Eli. What was that message? First, it was God's judgment pronounced upon Eli, holding him accountable for what was happening. The case against Eli and his sons spelled out in that passage, the case began back in ancient history, the time when, when the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. And God said, did I indeed reveal myself and choose your father, that is your ancestor, to be my priest? These acts of God in history confronted Eli with God's ancient grace and with God's long purposes over many centuries. These were the ancient grace and the long purposes of an unchanging God who would continue in the same ways for all those years. 
Eli and his sons had scorned God's ancient, long-standing grace. The judgment announced upon Eli included dramatic changes that God would be making now. Changes would be brought about by an unchanging God. Notice that. He's announcing changes he's going to make by the unchanging God. One change is the change of house. Eli's house and his father's house were chosen to be priests, but the message is no more. That's coming to an end. I'm going to change. And change of provision. God gave generously to Eli's house, but there now will come disastrous scarcity for his descendants. There would be that change done by an unchanging God. And thirdly, there would be a change of priests. Did I choose your father to be my priest? God said. But, God went on to say, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. Well, at the center of that message is verse 30. Would you look at verse 30? In that verse is a theological truth about honor. It's important that we grasp the Hebrew notion of honor. The root meaning of the Hebrew word that is translated honor, the root meaning was weight or heaviness or thickness. As a noun, the word kaved translated, was translated honor. Or the noun kavod was translated glory. Or as a verb, it was kaved, meaning to regard or treat someone as weighty. In other words, by that term, God's holy character and glory were said to be real, more real, more weighty than anything else. God said to Eli, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, God says in this next sentence, but now, just pause there. Now what? Now what is God going to do? Would the unchanging God now give up on the promises he had been keeping for years, for centuries? Was God going to do that? Was God going to break his promise? God was not caught in a moral dilemma there. He declared exactly what he would do, and what he said he would do still holds for us today. And it's this. Those who honor me, that's kaved, that is treat, me as weighty. Those who honor me, I will honor. I will kaved, treat as weighty. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. The verb there is kalal, 
which means to treat lightly. It's the opposite of kaved. Those who despise me, will, I will treat lightly. The theological reality was God's unchanging holy character to which God would always be true. So when we sang earlier, holy, 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 that's the reality of God and it is always true. And so we can always sing it. It does not change. The theological reality was God's unchanging holy character to which God would always be true. God said he would not violate the weight, the reality of his holy character. And the way that the Hebrew text quotes God saying that is one single Hebrew word, an exclamation, and the word was this, Chalilah. I want to ask you to learn to say it because it's a valuable Hebrew word to have in your vocabulary. It has three syllables to it. The first syllable begins with a guttural K, but it's aspirated, ha. The middle syllable is li. The third syllable is la. And the emphasis, the accent, was probably on the last syllable. Chalilah. Would you, yes, would you say it? Chalilah. Good. <laughs> that word is used only a few times in the Bible. But it is usually translated, as it is here, far be it. And then followed by from me or from whoever we're speaking about. Far be it. Chalilah. It means it cannot be. It cannot be. God used this word to say, you may dishonor me, but I will never dishonor myself. It cannot be. Chalilah. Regarding his own honor, his glory, God does not change. It cannot be that he would ever change in that regard. And that's why, that's why the depraved priesthood of Eli and his sons was judged and brought to an end. This shows God's unchanging moral character, that he is always righteous and he is always good. So in this that he was pronouncing to, to Eli, as God judged the depraved priesthood, he was acting righteously. And as he did that, to deliver his people from this oppressive time, he was acting in his goodness. It's both of those are together in what God was doing. He is always righteous in everything he does, and he is always good in everything that he does. In that, God does not change. In fact, in the unfolding of the totality of biblical history, God turns out to be so unchanging, so unchanging in his moral character, that he would 
someday later than this passage, someday he would do something which was in that day unthinkable, unimaginable. And even when he did it, his people couldn't, couldn't believe it. And it was this that he did. As he promised on that day to provide a new and faithful priest for his people, God was going to do that in the near future. He would raise up a new priest who would be faithful. But when God said that, he knew that he himself would someday come in person to be himself the faithful priest who would sacrifice his own life to be the sacrifice to atone for our sin, the perfect sacrifice which would pay completely for our sin. That's what he did. He did eventually, ultimately, he became the high priest. He came as Jesus, our high priest, to give up his own life as the sacrifice that we needed for our sin. Can you believe that? It's astounding that that's what God would do, and he knew that on the day that he said this to Eli. And this, dear friends, is, an, is a message now for us. This is a message for us now, though it happened in a, at a time that we sometimes find hard to understand in that period of time. But this, this is a message for us now because we live now in the same reality of God's weighty glory. It calls us to live honoring God because God does not change. His glory has the same reality today and forever. The same reality. Kalilah means it cannot be. And I want to tell you that Kalilah has become part of my prayer vocabulary, and I suggest it for your prayer vocabulary too. I want to give you, just share with you from my own life, a few ways in which I use this word in my praying. First example, when a child of mine is in great trouble, like any parent among us, I cry out to God in earnest prayer for my son or my daughter. And I say to the Lord, Lord, this child is yours. He or she was baptized into Christ in the name of Christ, the faithful priest. Are you now going to abandon your child? Kalilah! It cannot be, Lord. And so I pray earnestly, trusting in God's unchanging faithfulness. Another example when I am weary in body and soul. And I wonder, has God grown weary too? Will Christ ascended to heaven now forget us and not bother to come back again with his kingdom as he promised he would? That cannot happen. And so I say to God, far be it from you, Lord, to forget us. Kalilah, it cannot happen. And I am strengthened to pray with my confidence in God's unchanging faithfulness. Another example. 
Now we see that the pivotal moral question for our lives is, whom do we honor? Do we hold weighty God's holy character? Do we honor his presence with us and his gifts of grace to us and his consistent righteousness toward us and his astonishing goodness toward us in coming to us in person to be our Savior who would give up his life for us? Do we count all of that not weighty? In fact, do, do we count anything else, anything else as more weighty than that that God has done? To that let us exclaim to God, Kalila, <laughs> far be it from me to count anything as more weighty than your faithfulness, your unchanging holiness and righteousness and goodness and love. Another example, when life circumstances change and they change painfully for my life as they have happened at times in your lives, am I going to scorn God's unchanging holiness by distrusting him in such a time? Kalila, far be it from me with that word, saying that word, I choose to honor God with a determined trust that he will always do what is right. Another example, when I am tempted to make choices that are unjust, unmerciful, selfish, unloving, I regard that temptation and I say to the Lord, Kalila, far be it from me, Lord, to ignore your unchanging holiness. And one more example. When I have sinned, I ask God for forgiveness, and I ask it with actual repentance, that as I turn away from the sin, I put the sin away, because I do not take his forgiveness lightly. Eli's sons took God's forgiveness lightly, and so they were willing to disregard that these offerings for sin, for God's forgiveness to be given for their sins, that they could just take for themselves and satisfy their own appetite. They treated God's forgiveness lightly. Far be it from me to do that. I say that to God. I say, Kalila, far be it from me to scorn your precious forgiveness. That's how I use the word Kalila. And you can too. In fact, we can all say in our prayer lives, Kalila, and we can say that because God does not change. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, unchanging God, unchanging in goodness and righteousness and faithfulness and love and mercy and, and all your holiness. You are unchanging and we do praise you today and we give our lives to you. We put our, all of our trust in you. Far be it from us, O oh Lord, Kalila, far be it from us that we should scorn you and count anything as anything at all as more weighty, more important, more real for us than you, Lord, in your perfect, unchanging holiness. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.